0: As always, they are on their game and on top of things. As they are heading back, i to take a moment now to introduce Rick. Now, some of you are hopefully getting familiar with Rick. Rick is a friend of Providence from the Twin Cities, so he has come down to balmy Kansas City. Out of the cold white north, but he is a pastor friend. He serves as the senior pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Bloomington, Minnesota, on the south side of the cities there. And he is a pastor in Sovereign Grace Ministries, our family of churches. And specifically, Rick serves as the regional leader for the upper Midwest region that we're a part of. And so he provides care and counsel for all the pastors in his region, and so that's for the pastors here at Providence as well. And so that means his heart is for this church. It's not just a couple times a year that Rick pops in here and thinks of Providence. Rick thinks of you, this church, this body of believers, on a consistent basis. He gives care and leadership and counsel to us, your pastors, and he prays for you, and he's concerned for you. And so it's a privilege to have him with us. He's a part of our extended family, you could say. He's a first cousin in the faith. So we're going to hear now from Rick as he teaches us. So Rick, thanks for being here.
1: Well, it is great to be with you, and I do carry you on my heart and uh, feel a growing connection to this church. And it it is nice to fly south in February. (laughs) 55 degrees today. I, I looked at I looked at my weather app this morning, and it was nine degrees in Minneapolis, negative three degrees with the wind chill. So I've just given you all a reason to have a grateful heart today. You you did not wake up to negative three degrees. Um, When when I come here, I get to uh, hang out with uh, one of my dearest friends, Matthew, which is such a joy. You got to do that yesterday, got to spend uh, a bunch of time with Matthew and and. Dave and their love for you, and this church was on display as it always is, and got to be part of their thinking and dreaming about the future, and made me excited. and uh, And it's exciting to think about this individual church's future, and it's exciting to think about our future together as a family of churches. I mean, it's it's no secret that it's been a strange season for our family of churches, a hard season, but there are plenty of reasons to be excited uh, about the future and uh, working together as churches in, in the same region, which in the future, Lord willing, is is going to be done more closely and more intentionally to see the gospel go forth and advance and see churches planted for God's glory. And, and uh, your senior pastor is having a major hand in shaping that future through his work on the Sovereign Grace Ministries Polity Committee, and he's worked hard, and I know you you know that. And uh, what he's working on, what he's been working on, is going to serve churches, I believe, for generations to come. So what he's been working on is is really historic. And, uh, you know, by God's grace, your senior pastor has some serious game. And God is using him to serve this church, and he's using him to serve uh, the wider church family. So thank you, Matthew, for all you've done. And wherever Hannah is for all the sacrifices she's made to allow you to do what you did. And you, I know some of you have felt it more than others, your pastor having to be away and having his thoughts in polity and things like that for Sovereign Grace Ministries. But, um, boy, I I think the sacrifice is going to bear lots of fruit into the future. So... Thank you all. I'm eager to look into God's word with you. So if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. (coughs) I want to talk this morning about the significance of the church. And uh, I'm going to be specific and talk about the significance of what we're doing right now. We, um, we We call what we're doing now church, don't we? We say things like, uh, I'm going to church on Sunday, and, and that makes sense. The Greek word that gets translated church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means the called together ones or the assembly. So to say I'm going to church on Sunday is to say I'm going to the assembly or I'm going to the called together ones. And my agenda this morning is to remind us that This assembly is a really big deal. It's loaded with significance. In in fact, uh, that's exactly what we'll see in our text this morning. Hebrews 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 this morning. There's more here than we'll get into in detail. We're going to be pretty focused this morning. But let me read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. and, And I'll pray and ask for God's help and we'll dive in. The author of Hebrews writes this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Well, Father, we believe what the author of Hebrews says earlier in this book that your word is living and it's active. We believe it's a sharp sword that pierces us and discerns our hearts. And so we pause together now and, and say together, let your living and active word cut us this morning. Because we know that the cut of your word is like a, the cut of a surgeon's scalpel. It's meant only for our good. So let your word succeed in heart surgery this morning. Let it open us. Let it examine us. Let it help us. Let it heal us. Let it strengthen us. Let it encourage us. Do that, Heavenly Father, we ask. Please do that for the good of your church and for the glory of your name that's displayed through your church, this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's the command not to n- neglect to meet together in verse 25. Don't, don't neglect to meet. Don't neglect to assemble. Don't neglect to go to church, to gather as the church. And we're all obeying that command right now. So congratulations. Well done. Here we are, obeying the command. And obeying this command is what we do. It's what Christians do on Sunday. Many of you have been doing it for as long as you can remember. The Sunday morning routine is almost like breathing. Even for those who aren't part of the Christian culture, what we're doing now is familiar to them. They know that disciples of Jesus go to church. They gather together on Sunday. Now, here's the danger for us. What we're doing right now can grow very familiar, too familiar, really. We, we can actually get too used to this. It, it can become like breathing so that we hardly notice it. It can lose its significance and all the familiarity so that we, we simply slip into neutral and just go through the motions on Sunday morning. We can obey the command in verse 25 and show up here on Sunday while our hearts are actually far from what the author of Hebrews intends for us when we meet together. And because that's a real danger, I think it's good and necessary to step back and remind ourselves why we gather together and and why this Sunday morning gathering is so significant. So that's the main question of the morning. Why do we gather? And the answer to that question will reveal to us the significance of what you all do here every Sunday. So I'm just going to give three simple answers to that question that I pray will spark even greater passion in our hearts for this Sunday gathering. As we're reminded, just how significant this gathering is. For many here, I'm just stirring you up. By way of reminder, I know. But we need reminders. So let's ask, why do we gather? Well, Here's my first answer to that question. We gather to encounter God. That's why we gather. As members of His church, we've been given access into God's presence. And that is astounding. We've been singing about that This morning, verse 19 of our text says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus died in order to bring us to God. That's the best news of the good news. That's the best news of the gospel. Jesus died in order to bring us to God, and by His blood we come. So the cross of Christ is a doorway into the presence of God for those who believe. Now, it's true that every Christian in this room has the privilege as an individual to draw near to God in full assurance of faith at any time and in any place. You can come into God's presence outside this assembly. Christ purchased that privilege for you. But the point I want to make right now is that God is especially present when we gather together. Ephesians two twenty one 21-22 says this, In Christ, the whole structure, that is the church, is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together. Together. We're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Every individual believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 6.19. But we're not only a temple of God as an individual... We are together, Paul says, being joined, individual brick by individual brick, into God's dwelling place. And so there is an encounter with the living God available to us when we gather together as the church that's unique. God manifests His presence in a different way as the living stones of His temple gather than He does when they're apart. So... Why do we obey the command in Hebrews ten twenty five to gather as the church? Answer: Because there is an encounter with God. Am I doing something wrong here? No, it wasn't pushed in all the way. No. Um, th- there's an encounter with God and an experience of His presence that's not available to us otherwise. So Sunday morning is extraordinary. What we what we do here is no ordinary thing. I mean, it can feel routine, it can feel mundane, it can feel familiar, but it's actually mind blowing. Let me try to convince you that's true, and I'm going to stay in the Book of Hebrews to do it. But let's let's jump a couple chapters ahead to chapter twelve. Look at verses 22 through 24. This text, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, is what we should have in mind when we come to church on Sunday. When we gather each week. Th- this is a description of the gathering that we come to. This is the gathering we join when we walk through those doors. This is a description of reality. Now, it's a reality that we can't see completely with our physical eyes, but it is reality nonetheless. And it is a very significant reality. Let's read. Pausing as we go. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Wow. So... You don't just come to 10113 Lenexia Drive in Kansas on Sunday when you come to gather here. When we gather as the church, we come to Mount Zion. We come to the city of God. Now, there's a sense in which that city is still to come but there is a sense in which it's already arrived here in Christ. Together we are citizens of the city of God, enjoying all the benefits of that citizenship, and to gather together as the church is to come to the city of God. And, the author goes on, you come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You see, it's a gathering, and it's a Festive gathering. It's a party. There are angels at this gathering and they're just for a party because that's what Sunday morning is. It's a celebration. We join innumerable angels when we gather together on Sunday to celebrate. And not only are there angels there, but look, look at verse 23 And you come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's every Christian. So with this gathering, we join every gathering of those enrolled in heaven. And you, the righteous made perfect. That's every believer who's died and gone to heaven. So in this gathering, we join with Abraham and Moses and David and James and John and Peter and Paul and Augustine and Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones and All the assembly is there to come to God, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now that is a description of a remarkable encounter with God. And it happens corporately. It happens as we gather. It's a gathering participation in this Sunday celebration is, in a very real sense, participation in the heavenly worship. There's a veil, there's a veil there still, but we're almost in the same room. And we come celebrating into the presence of the same God, by the same blood of Jesus, and we do it together. That's what we participate in during this Sunday celebration. We we gather together in order to in God to on our behalf that makes a way to God. We gather to party in God's presence because of the gospel. I mean, that that's a significant thing that we do every Sunday morning. Why do we gather? We gather to encounter God. Now, we also gather, second point now, to respond to God. And this is just an obvious follow-up. To the first point, when we encounter God, we must respond to God. Not responding to God is not an option. In fact, worship is our response to God. To just encounter God via His truth and the songs we sing, the preaching of the Word is not enough. To be here and just sing the songs and hear the preaching is not enough. It's not enough to just show up. This gathering becomes a festal worship. It becomes a celebration. It becomes a party as we respond to God. And all true worship is a response to God. To who He reveals Himself to be and to what He's done for us in Christ. And we respond to Him in joy and happiness. And humility and gratitude and awe and wonder and reverence and love and all those different responses is worship. Now, if we understand this, that all true worship is a response to God, it will protect us from becoming Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? This is what He said, Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Understanding that worship is a response to God protects Sunday morning from becoming a formality. It protects us from simply going through emotions, singing songs, hearing sermons. That's not enough. But, if you're flows from an awareness of who God is and what He's done, if it flows from meditation on His greatness, if it flows from joy in His mercy, then singing is worship. The same as It's only... A we, um... he's so distracted, I can tell. <laughs> Every time I move... Sound guys, they, they're you only know they're there when something goes wrong, and it's not their fault. So, there we go. Now, hopefully, no distractions. <clears throat> preaching the same is true with listening to preaching, it's only a form of worship. If it elicits a response from us, I think we tend to view worship as something we do, which is correct. It's our response. But since preaching is done mostly by Matthew or by me this morning and and not you, we might fail to realize that preaching is corporate worship. Corporate worship is continuing right now. It's just I'm leading worship now and I'm not singing, for which you should all be very, very grateful. And it is an act of worship when you listen with an eager mind and a responsive heart. The reason it's an act of worship is that you're listening to the Word of God through His Word. You're listening to God speak through His Word, and you're responding to what you hear. So we gather together in order to respond to our encounter with God, and our response, what our feels feels is worship. And this worship protects us from the formality and hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And an understanding that, that we're here to respond to our encounter with God also protects us from legalism, from viewing this celebration as a means of earning God's favor. I think it's Easy to slip into the false notion that in worship we work our way into God's presence. I've heard people talk that way. I can't just I can't just come to church and get into God's presence. Well, you know what? That's that's not true. Uh, worship is not a means into God's presence. The finished work of Jesus Christ is the means into God's presence. That's the gospel. It's true that in worship, corporate worship in particular, we might become very aware of God's presence. That, that's an amazing mercy, but it wasn't our worship that got us there. Our text this morning makes it plain that it is the blood of Jesus that makes entrance into God's presence possible. We enter through his flesh We draw near to God because we're sprinkled clean by Jesus' blood. So, worship is not a means into God's presence. That's legalism. That's scorning the gospel. Jesus is the means into God's presence. Worship is our joyful response to the fact that God has made a way into His presence through Jesus. And worship is our exaltation in the mercy that represents. We don't gather to strive for the goal of entering into God's presence. We gather together to corporately respond to the glorious truth that as the church, we are in God's presence. I love that truth. So we gather to encounter God, and we gather to respond to God. And... Last point here, we gather to strengthen one another. We gather to strengthen and to be strengthened. Verse 24 of our text says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Then the end of verse 25, Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the last day drawing near. A direct result of obeying the command in verse 25, to gather together, is that we're stirred up and encouraged. We come to church to be strengthened and to strengthen. 1 Corinthians 14.26, Apostle Paul says, when you come together as the church, let all things be done for building up. Now, worship is not merely the response to God that takes place when we sing and listen to preaching on Sunday morning only. In other words, we we don't worship here and then simply go out about our week. Come here, worship, and then go out and live real life. Worship is a way of life. Worship is our day-to-day, moment-by-moment response to God. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship, Romans 12.1. And this corporate gathering is a strengthening grace from God to equip us for our daily worship. This is where we get stirred up and encouraged. And that happens when we gather together. Martin Luther once said that uh, when he was at home, in his house that he didn't always experience what he called the warmth and vigor for the things of God. But when he gathered with the church, he said, a fire was kindled. We come to church to catch on fire. That's why we're here. And then we take that fire with us for the rest of the week and we burn bright for Jesus. Now, if that's all true, that this gathering is where we encounter God in a unique way as His church. It's where we respond to God together in worship. And if this is where we get the grace and strength to live a life of worship, apart from this gathering, then I'd say this is a pretty significant event, wouldn't you? What goes on here is no ordinary thing. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. J.I. Packer said it this way in his excellent book, A Quest for God. He said, we must never, therefore, let our Sundays become mere routine engagements. In that attitude of mind, we shall trifle them away by a humdrum formality. Every Sunday is meant to be a great day. And we should approach it expectantly in full awareness of this. Sunday is meant to be a great day. The best day of the week, Packer says. And there are things we can do. Things we can do before we gather. Things we can do during our gathering. And things we can do after our gathering to protect and to enhance the greatness of the day. So, we're just going to talk very briefly now about preparation for Sunday morning, participation during Sunday morning, and then application of Sunday morning. So, preparation, participation, and application before, during, after the gathering. Now, this is just practical, nitty-gritty suggestions so that we come to the gathering on Sunday morning with a sense of the significance of what takes place here, so that we come expectant, so that we come full of faith, so that we come with eager anticipation and passion. So first, preparation before the Sunday gathering. Now, if if we're going to encounter the God of the universe and respond to that God, the encounter with that God, then my question is, shouldn't we prepare for it? On Sunday morning, we have a unique audience with the King of Kings, not just an earthly king. I mean, if the President of the United States was coming over to your house for dinner, I think you'd prepare. And you'd probably do more than just move the unfolded laundry out of the living room. But we have an audience with the King of the Universe every Sunday. And we participate in that audience with all believers on earth, all believers in heaven, and with innumerable angels. That's something to get ready for. We need to get our hearts ready. And so very practically, I think it's safe to say that a great Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. The decisions we make about what we do on Saturday night have a tremendous impact on our experience Sunday morning. Now, I'm not interested in laying any unbiblical, burdensome duties on you. I'm just making some suggestions. Like, Here are the kind of things I have in mind. So these are nitty-gritty. These are really nitty-gritty. I suggest that you get as many chores as you can accomplished before Sunday morning. There are a lot of you with young families... Out there, and I've been through your season of life, and it left me bald on top and gray on the chin. It's hard. It's really hard. It's hard just to get out of the house, it's hard to get anywhere on time. But it can help if we don't wait till Sunday morning to bathe the kids. We don't wait till Sunday morning to do the ironing. We think about what we can do on Saturday night to make Sunday morning as unhurried and unstressful as possible. You do that, and your soul will be more prepared to encounter and respond to God. And, how about this one? Nitty-gritty. Get plenty of sleep on Saturday night. I don't know about you, but if I don't get enough sleep, my mind is duller, my emotions are flatter, my fuse is shorter... And that is not a beneficial way to come to the Sunday gathering. If you're going to have a late night out with friends during the week, make it Friday night, not Saturday. Go to bed early Saturday and then get up early Sunday. And read the Bible and pray. That's a good way to prepare for an encounter with God. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for those who are going to lead in worship in song and worship in the Word. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that they would be strengthened by the gathering. Pray that you'd be alert to opportunities to minister. Pray that unbelievers would show up and get saved. Pray for the spiritual gifts to be unleashed. Those are just ways we can prepare before the Sunday celebration. Nitty gritty little things we can do that can make a world of difference for our experience on Sunday morning. Now, we need to prepare we also need to come to sunday ready to participate so now turn to what we can do during the gathering to protect the greatness of it and and it's simple come expecting to encounter god come expectantly and when you do ex- encounter him respond to him the way we participate in sunday morning is by responding We participate by actually worshiping. Remember what I said earlier, merely singing songs and hearing sermons, that's not worship. The the truth about God in the songs and in the sermons must be responded to. We encounter God in that truth. And like I said earlier, not responding to an encounter with God is not an option. We should come expecting to feel feel things when we encounter God. We should come expecting to feel things like awe and wonder and fear and joy and gratitude and humility. Whatever response is appropriate to the truth that's being proclaimed. And our response should be visible in how we express ourselves during worship in song. Lack of expression in worship is not a biblical option. The Bible anticipates that our worshipful response to who God is and what He's done for us in Christ will be expressed. And yes, I'm talking about things like clapping and shouting and dancing and raising hands, but not just that. There should be weeping for joy, kneeling down, stunned silence. That's how we participate. We respond to God in a way that's clearly seen through our expression. And we also respond, that's that's worship in some, but we can also respond to the preaching, like I talked about. Remember, preaching is worship that you participate in by responding. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about your response during preaching. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century said this, Another element to which I attach importance is that the preacher, while speaking, should in a sense be deriving something from his congregation. There are those present in the congregation who are spiritually minded people and filled with the Spirit, and they make their contribution to the occasion. There is always an element of exchange in true preaching. There is an interplay, action and response, and this often makes a vital difference. In other words, what he's, what he's saying is that Matthew, when he's up here, whatever preacher's up here, we need your response when we preach. Your response makes a vital difference during the sermon because without it, congregational worship is not taking place. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians one twenty. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In other words, the glory of God is at stake in whether or not you utter amen during a sermon. And if you're not talkative, nod your head. You have no idea. A nodding of the head as a response to truth is worship. And when a worship leader is up here and sees you nodding in affirmation of the truth, our hearts catch fire even more. It's a wonderful interplay that happens between a congregation and a preacher in worship. So that's what we do before and during Sunday morning. We prepare and we participate. Now, very briefly, in closing, what do we do after the service? Well, the answer is we, we apply what we've gleaned from the morning. And we have to work, don't we? So that it doesn't fade away as soon as we walk out the doors. That's what happens over and over again. It just fades away as we walk out. As we encounter God on Sunday morning, God anticipates more than an immediate response from us. He anticipates a lasting response. So we go over sermon notes during the week. Or if we need to, we re-listen to the sermon. We talk about it over Sunday lunch, later with our small group, we ask God what lasting effect He wants this particular Sunday morning to have on me individually, my family, my relationships, my small group. We apply. Sunday is the best day of the week because it's the day that we get to gather together as the church and encounter God together respond to God corporately, encourage and stir up one another and strengthen one another. And so this day is worthy of our preparation and our participation and our application. Let's pray.